Hey guys, Joe Miles here with ICO Gear. This is the Mission Whitetail Podcast. We're going to be doing a deep dive into what it truly takes to kill these mature bucks. We're going to step outside the box and look at the why for gear, tactics, training, and more importantly, the mindset from over 35 years of chasing these magnificent animals all over North America. Thank you for following along and welcome to Mission Whitetail. All right, guys, welcome back. Mission Whitetail episode number 39. The season is open in most parts of the country. We are, today is September 15th, 14th, 15th, something like that. Um, And wide open here in South Carolina, Kentucky's going. I think Missouri comes in this weekend, I guess. Illinois is October 1st, so a couple other states still pending about to come in Ohio end of this month but things are going good here in South Carolina the deer that I had high hopes for last year made it through got pictures of him and he is a really really pretty buck this year got some box scrapes out and he hit a couple of them I talked about this in some of my posts about getting ahead of the shift and what I meant by that was when these bucks early season are bachelored up, velvet on, they're, they're in a pretty patternable uh, movement, if you will, from bed to food. You know, they're hitting the beans, they're hitting the food sources, they're daylight, and as soon as they rub velvet off, in my experience, they get a little bit nocturnal, they spread out. They go to a kind of a different range or a different part of their range once that velvet comes off and once they get out of their bachelor groups. And that really is what the shift is. And so I want to be ahead of that, meaning I've moved my cameras away from those early feed, early season food sources, moved a few on to white oaks, and we've got saltus in the swamp that are dropping now. So I've moved my cameras onto those food sources and then also moved them to the funnel is a is probably a bad word for for the swamps that I hunt in here because it's so hard to have a really tight funnel but the the pinches I guess that are in between like fields and rivers and oxbows in the rivers where I've got some scrapes and traditional scrape patterns I've got those all opened up now, and I've got my cameras on, and they were just dead for like a week. You know, nothing was hitting any of them, and it's because those bucks hadn't gotten in there yet. And lo and behold, last night, boom, I get two nice bucks on mock scrapes in area, and and they have zero idea that I'd been in there. And I've got the cameras set, so traps are getting set. But uh, anyway, that's kind of. Season update, I am going to be staying here at home hunting for the next couple weeks and then have got everything set and ready to go in Kentucky, Kansas, and Ohio. So when those seasons, Kansas is open but and Kentucky's open, but when Ohio gets open, I'm really just kind of monitoring cameras now and when something big pops, then I'll make a move. But I'm sitting on go and, man, yeah, the season's here. Today is going to be a little bit different, guys. We have got Lucas Kincaid in the studio, flesh and bone. Lucas is the content and ICO brand manager. So he does all things digital and and content. So the reels and, and videos and stuff that you guys are seeing on our social media stuff, Lucas is putting those together and working his tail off. He did one with our buddy Cole Powell the other day, a backpack video that's going to be dropping soon that's really, really good. And Lucas is – he's hunted his whole life. He's 20 years old, yep. so he's wet behind the ears. <laughs> and he is a up-and-coming bow hunter. So we thought it might be cool for Lucas – to do a Q&A, a question and answer period, and I'll see if I can answer any of Lucas's questions. He's been tasked with coming up with something where I mumble and stumble and bumble, so we'll, we'll see what happens there. But, uh, Lucas, welcome to the Mission Whitetail Podcast, buddy. Glad to have you here. Thank you for having me on. 
Yeah, man. So, uh, like always, why don't we just dive right into these questions and get started? Okay. So, the first question is, what is the best advice you would give someone to kill a mature deer? The best advice that I could give someone to kill a mature deer, if that's their their sole purpose, their sole mission is to kill a four- or five-year-old buck. I would first and foremost tell them to try and find a property that is all to themselves, that they are the sole hunter on that property, whether that's a five-acre parcel or a 5,000-acre parcel. Try and find a property that, is, that only they hunt. Yep. So that, stacks, that starts to stack the deck in your favor. So that would be number one, is having access to a good hunting property that you and you only uh, I, I get that all the time from guys. Hey, I'm in this hunt club, and where should I hang my cameras? Where should I hang my stands? Um, you know, it, it's tough because, you you know, it's like these public land guys that, that I have a lot of respect for, but, man, you've got to have patience, and it just doesn't stack the deck in your favor. And if, if you're trying to kill a mature buck, then I am going to be doing everything I can to find a property that only I can hunt. So that would be, did you want one? Yeah. Yep. Just one, that, so that would be first and foremost. That would be the first thing I did. Like, like for you, for example, you moved from Ohio to South Carolina, yep. right? And, and so you, you had a job opportunity, you moved down here, and now you're trying to get squared away with places to hunt. You've been pounding uh, public, which I know. you got yeah. spider webs all over your hat yep. right now. <laughs> um, so y- that would be my advice to you, and I think we've even talked about that, is – you know, trying to, and, and I've hooked you up with a buddy down there around public, but but to try and find something for you and you alone, and that, that's going to be step number one. Yep. Um, so question number two is, I just started using a compound. What is some advice that you would give someone if they wanted to get into archery? Ooh. If they wanted to get into archery or get into bow hunting? Uh, bow hunting. Get into bow hunting? So, nowadays, we, we do a ton of testing with all the new bows. that they, they all come out, and, you know, the last, I guess, three or four years, I've been a Matthews guy, yep. but I've really liked the primes. I've really liked the Hoyts. I, I don't have a lot of experience with the PSEs, but I hear good things about them. Um, you know, the, the, the Bowtex, I hear good things about them. And I, I'm really brand neutral. And I think the reason, one of the reasons Matthews has been the bow that I've gone with is because I've got muscle memory with their draw cycle, and I'm real familiar with it. And the specs on these things with our testing are so close. You know, we're talking about when you set them up apples to apples, uh, the, the speeds, how quiet they are, they're, they're really, really close, and we're, we're splitting hairs. And so the, the first thing that I would do as a young guy getting in or, or an older guy, whatever, that wants to get into bow hunting is to, you've got to find you a good rig. Yep. You know, you get that, that's a number one and go in with an open mind and try not to have any preconceived ideas of what brand you're going to go with. Okay. You know, go into the shop and shoot them and, and be very open-minded. And it's hard to do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really hard because in these tests we do, I'm always in the back of my mind, I'm like Matthews, Matthews, Matthews. But I don't need to be biased, and I try not to be. I really like that prime this year. But, you know, the Matthews specs were a little bit better, and I shot it a little bit better. But I think it's because I've used it for so long. But back to the point at hand, new guys go in and, and shoot the bow, and first and foremost – Figure out which one you shoot better and which one's more comfortable to you, and then and then get that. And then don't skimp. You know, don't you, you're a prime example of that. Yep. You were going in <laughs> to get a uh, hunt ready package, and yep. you and you bought a phase four. So <laughs> you you're you're don't skimp. Lucas did not skimp. He went uh, he went all in right out the rip. He posted a picture of the uh, phase four on his on his Instagram story, and I was like, uh. That's a change <laughs> from what we talked about. So that that would be my advice is, is go in and try a bunch of the bows. Keep an open mind. Don't be um, 
cheap's not the right word. D- don't try and cut corners. You, you know, it really in the archery industry, you, you get what you pay for. Yep. Uh, once you have your bow situated, uh, depending on what kind of hunting you're planning on doing, if you're doing whitetail hunting, tr- try and look at some guys that do a ton of whitetail bow hunting, if that's that's what you're doing, and see what kind of um, accessories they have, like rest, uh, quivers. Um, you know, we, we've done a bunch of bow breakdown videos of, of the stuff that I shoot and like, but, you know, guys should really, really look at a lot of different options out there and try and be as open-minded as you can. Yep. And whoever you're getting your advice from, make sure they're vetted and make sure they're doing the kind of hunting that you're going to be doing. You, you don't want to put on – I mean, this is this is just an example. You, you don't want to put on a rest that somebody recommends that does a lot of shooting at 18 yards at hogs if you're going to be shooting out to 40 yards at whitetail. You know, you might want to research that a little bit better. Yep. That, that's just an example. Same with broadheads, same with air weights. You know, you, you want to do all your research and be serious about it. If you want to get into it, it's worth the time and effort to do it right and, and take it, you know, with a professional mentality and, and get what you want. And it, it's a lot of fun shooting your bow. I shoot every morning. Yep. Every morning that I'm in the in the office, I, I shoot my bow, and I've gotten a little bit of a wild hair and started shooting a traditional bow. And, man, you talking about humbling. Oh, I bet. That, that, there's, a, there's a lot to that, but, boy, you talking about addictive. <laughs> you know, I, I got a guy that's building me a, a traditional bow right now, and – he told me, he's like, all right, you need to start getting your muscles in shape, you know, because you've been shooting a compound forever. And he said, you need to shoot about 10 arrows a morning. And, heck, I shoot 10 arrows in the first minute. I'm shooting like 50, 60, 70 <laughs> arrows a morning as fast as I can go. Can't get enough of it. But, um, anyway, that that's advice on getting into bow hunting, you know, and starting with equipment is is get the best stuff that you can, you can afford. Yep. Would you ever hunt public? Why or why not? Yes, I would hunt public if it had a giant buck on it that I wanted to hunt. Um, I used to hunt a little bit of public. In Mississippi, I did a lot of public hunting out in Oregon for elk and mule deer. Hmm. So I've, I've done the public thing. Um, and I was the guy on the public land in Mississippi that walked right up under somebody. <laughs> I, 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 was, I was going to my spot. We were running a little bit late. And uh, we, I was actually down there. I was uh, guiding for a duck hunting outfitter and we had like a weekend off and it was this one place that was bow only and we had a week weekend off and that was the weekend this thing opened so uh, I had my climbing stand on my back and I rode with him and of course he was late which he always was and we got out and I was going to my spot and as I'm getting there I look up and I'm 20 <laughs> yards from a dude waving at me I was like golly um you know Public land, right? Uh, that, that's a that's a whole podcast. Maybe yep. we can get Rendell Eric on here because he's a public land machine. He, between public land and free permission, he uh, it it's it's come it, it's gotten popular in the last few years. The public land thing, uh, and I guess a lot of that has to do with the the, the hunting public guys. Yep. They brought awareness to to the public grounds that we have the ability to hunt. Uh, my understanding is that public land has gotten really crowded. It's hard to find good spots, unimpeded spots. It's doable, but it's really hard and you have to have a lot of patience. And that's something as at 48 years old, I thought you kind of mellowed age. Maybe I've got to be 98 before that happens, but I, I don't have a lot of patience and I really try and have high percentage sits. Like, like for, for example, I've hunted three times this year. Yep. I actually sat in the stand three times. The first time in, I killed a buck. The second time in, I got messed up by a bulldozer. I told you about that. Yeah. Yeah, I got yep. messed up. By, there was a buddy, I mean, the guy that owns the property. So, I, messed up's not a, not the right word. I went to the wrong spot because yep. he was working on a food plot with his bulldozer. Uh, I didn't realize it, and so that that um that one didn't work out. And the third time, I actually saw the buck I was after. I just couldn't shoot him. Hmm. So th- those are the, my three sits this this year. Um, and, and so 
I put a lot of time and effort, just like the public land guys do, into yep. it. And then, then you go in and you have to be prepared and you have to accept getting things screwed up. And I want to make the mistakes. You know, if I'm going to screw up a deer, I want it to be me that does it. I want to rule out the fact that, just like the guy on the yeah. bulldozer, right? Right. That, yep. that was, and that was on private. But that, that was a little – that's never happened before. Yep. So things like that can happen. They're just liable to happen more on public, and that would really frustrate me. Uh, but but if let's say Kansas, uh, there's a there's a public piece right across where we stay. We've got a little cabin that we stay in a lot of the times, and there's a public piece right across from it. If I got wind of a giant buck being in there then absolutely, man, I, w- I would go in there and, and, and give it a try and just kind of feel it out and see what was going on. Yep. Um, so, yeah, that would be my advice or answer to that question. Okay. Uh, what is the best way to get a buck to daylight? The best way to get a buck to daylight yep. is no pressure on that spot. Yep. So what happens, and it's, it's a, it really is – a hard thing to do because you want to go in and get your cameras set up. You want to go in and scout. You want to go in and look for funnels. Um, you want to move your cameras. You know, you're not getting anything on them, so you want to move them. Um, you want to go and hunt. And every time you're going in there, every time you go in there, they're smelling where you where you put down ground scent, and that's making them more and more, more aware of – what's going on in that area and not necessarily causing them to become nocturnal, but it's certainly pushing them that way. Yep. So the, the ultimate play is this, is to wait until the pre-rut and the rut. Okay. Get your cameras out, let them soak, and then wait till the weather changes. When you get 5 to 10 degrees cooler than normal in late October, early November, and then go hunt. Um, because, the, the, I mean, it, it's, all the studies have been done. They, they daylight way more pre-rut and rut than they do any other time during yep. the year other, other than early season. So my philosophy is always early season, one crack at the buck right so you've you got a pattern of him you know where he's coming to eat I get on that food source and I either kill him or booger him up that night yep. 95% of the time that's what happens you either kill him or you booger him up and if you booger him up early season he becomes nocturnal yeah you know or he's not leaving his bed until right at dark and early season is tough to get right on top of their beds um, and then we, then we transition into pre-rut and that's a time of pre-rut and rut where you, you want to be sitting a lot, mm-hmm. you know, in those funnels and around those scrapes, especially pre-rut, because if you've got a funnel with scrapes in them, he's going to come through there, and he's going to come through there in daylight. Yeah. You know, because they're, they're anxious. That Halloween first few days of November, high-pressure afternoons near scrapes, hold on to your hat, man. Mm-hmm. That's a good time to be in there and kill them. But the – the issue is, I, and I get this all the time, I, somebody will send me a, um, a picture and they've got a corn pile and they've got a buck on it and it's 3 a.m. And they go, how do I kill this deer, right? Well, they got 100 acres of planted pines that they're hunting. It's not bedding cover. Yep. It's just one little block of woods and that buck's ending up there in the middle of the night. He, there's no telling how far he's coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a situation where you don't have the property where the buck is bedded, right? So you, you can kill him like that. And the way to absolutely do the best that you can possibly do to kill him mm-hmm. is to get your, leave your corn pile right where it is and get your cameras, some extra cameras, like what, if you look at it from a, a map perspective, you can kind of look around and see where the big thickets are, where the creeks are, where you think he may be bedded off of you, and start dropping your cameras 
on those edges of your property. And if you can get him coming through there, let's say that he's showing up every night at 3 a.m., you move your cameras. What, what you Nothing. laughing? Oh, Lucas is laughing at me. He's, he's derailing me. So you can get your cameras right on the edges of, the, of your property. Yep. And let's say he's been normally hitting the – I've got some cameras like this right now. He's normally hitting the food source at 3 a.m., and then I've got cameras way away from that, and then I may get him at 2 a.m. So I know, now I know where he's coming from, yeah. right? So you, you've, that, that's good. So once again, when you get towards that pre-rut rut time, he's going to want to come to that corn pile. He's going to want to come to that food plot. He's going to want to come to that food source, what, oak tree, whatever it is, white yeah. oak. Um, he's going to want to come there to check for does, yeah. right? So if you know, okay, he's he's bedded over here, he's coming to my corn pile. I got him an hour earlier coming onto my property. Well, then voila, when you get to that magic time and he's wanting to check for does, he knows that there's does that are frequent. I'm gonna keep saying corn pile but yeah. because we're talking South Carolina right now, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and everybody's got a corn pile. Um, he's he knows those does are coming to that corn pile. So afternoons, the chances of him getting up earlier and coming are good, but you, you can't just beat that horse, right? You can't, he's coming at 3 a.m. You get pictures of him at 2 a.m. You can't just go there and hunt and hunt and hunt and hunt. You got to wait till conditions are right. Pre-rut, rut, he's wanting to get up. He's wanting to go early because his hormones are going. He's wanting to find the does kind of like you when you're chasing no. all these girls around. No. Yeah. <laughs> But so so yeah that that's how you can't make a buck um because to daylight you can't make them daylight. Yeah. They have a say in that. What you can do is improve your odds of catching him when he's in daylight. Okay. And that would be get get away from wherever he try and find the spot where he's on your property as early as you can and the way you do that is with trail cameras. Yep. And then you you once you get that picture of him, then you put your plan together of what wind you need and look at that camera and see what wind he used to, to come on to the property. Use all that to your advantage. There's so much intel with those cameras. And then put your plan in place and then wait for that 10-degree temperature change at the end of October in yep. the afternoon or 1st of November. And then go in and set up. And then you haven't left... You haven't abused it. You hadn't put a ton of pressure on it, and you've stacked the deck in your favor. Yep. Um, what is the most effective way to speed scout an area when you have limited time? Edges. That you can you can rule out so much stuff by just looking at the like like okay for example like the swamp I hunt. Yep. There's there's hundreds of acres of cutover. And then what I look for is, like, where that cutover butts up to hardwoods. Okay. Or I look for, like, an oxbow, a bend in the, in the river, or a big bend in a creek, mm-hmm. because that's going to funnel them. So I want to go check there and see, see what the trails look like. And then I want to check those edges from where di- – I've got one spot that's probably got five scrapes already on it. It's pines, hardwoods, and cutover. All three come together on a point. Huh. And I th- – th- there's – the, the cutover is at least 100 acres. The block of hardwoods is at least 75 acres. And the pines are about 100 acres. I didn't walk in any of that. I went right to where they came together, and boom, that, that, was, that was the spot. Huh. All the scrapes are right there. So anytime you f- can find diverse habitat where they meet, yep. either on a point or an edge, go right there. And that, that's going be, that, to be your honey hole. Absolutely, without a doubt, and then and then sometimes you get long edges. Yeah, and and Bobby and I talked about this, especially in swamp country and flat ground where there's not a lot of terrain features to create funnels. Those edges, if you walk up the edge, and again, you know that's where cutover butts up to hardwoods or cutover butts up to planted pines. You know, there's a transition between habitat. If you walk up those edges. You'll start finding scrapes. You'll start finding rubs that are going in and out of there. And then you can stack brush and stuff and create your own funnel in there yep. and then hunt those edges. And you'll, you're, go, you're really going to stack the odds in your favor 
you know, speed scouting, if you go straight to those edges or straight to where the, the different habitats come together. Yep. Awesome. Uh, what are your plans for this deer season? Mm. My plans for this deer season are to get a lot of arrows bloody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so right now, I'm kind of focused on this one buck at home. Okay. Um, j- just l- literally, I'm excited. I just got pictures of him. I-, I-, I didn't know what happened. He he was everywhere last year. And he was a nine point, and he broke uh, his G2 off on his left side. And he, he was probably 125-inch deer. And three or four, I couldn't really tell because it's the first time I'd seen him. And I was kind of on the fence. And then when he broke his tine, I was like, nah, I'm not going to do it. Yep. And, you know, I, I had – a ton of cameras out looking for him and never did find him and found that eight point that I ended up shooting. Mm-hmm. And then boom, I guess wherever he was when he, when he went hard horned, he, he showed back up kind of to his core area yep. and, and I'm, I didn't give up. Right. I, I didn't move my cameras out of there. I left everything in there. I left my mock scrapes. I, I, I even have a stand already hung in there <laughs> and it's all set up and ready. And boom, he shows up and he hits two of the mock scrapes that are, I don't know, 600, 700 yards apart. So he's working already the same thing that he worked last year. That's good. Yeah, it's 3, three o'clock in the morning or 2 o'clock and 3 o'clock in the morning. But it, it, it's also yeah. 92 degrees and the humidity is awful. But so, so I really – I'm going to focus a lot on that buck for the next, you know, up until probably the middle of October. And then I'm – like I t- touched on earlier, I'm going to – just let my cameras work in Illinois, um, Illinois, in Ohio, Kentucky, and Kansas. Yep. You know, I'm, I'm going to let those work. I've got two good buddies, one in Kentucky, one in Kansas. And, you know, I, I talk with them all the time. And if something big pops up on a farm or something, then, then I'll, I'll make a move. And, yep. and I'm, I'm seal ready, man. I got my stuff ready to go. <laughs> I got my stands ready to go. So, I'm just kind of sitting on go and, and waiting on something to pop. But but in the meantime, I'm going to be chasing this buck here at home, and if I get him, you yep. know, it, it's going to be – you know, it's, he, he's definitely in the 130s, which it, here at South Carolina is, is, a, is a big deer. Yeah. And, you know, he's a buck that I have quite a bit of history with and, and was playing the game with him some last year. And now this year it's, uh, it's going to be a challenge. So – that's my plan is to is to hunt him and and quite frankly if I got him that would make my season yeah you know, oh. re- regardless of what happens in these other places and you know it's something else to touch on is it's relative right yep you know I've got cameras in Kentucky and Kansas and Ohio right now and there's 130s on there every day I get pictures of mm-hmm. 130s every single day and you don't even bat an eye at that you know yeah. these are two and a half year old bucks that you know, have got good good genetics, but here at home, a, a one thirty freaking fires you up, man. Oh yeah, you, you get excited about <laughs> it. So it's all relative to where you are. You know, guys in Florida, you know, 110, 115 inch deer. Um, you know that that's a heck of a buck. Our buddy Tony down there that that uh, hunts his tail off. You know, he he shoots some nice bucks down there, and you know they're they're mature deer. So it's all relative to to where you are. But that's my plan to hunt this deer at home. And then be ready to go, Kansas, Ohio, Kentucky. Yep. Hopefully you get him. Yeah, I hope so. Where all have you hunted? Where all have I hunted? Lucas, that is a good question. I have hunted. You talking about deer, right? Uh anything. Oh. All all over. Like the world. Where have you hunted? Where have I hunted? Uh, <laughs> I think at one time it was 16 different countries. My goodness. Yeah. Um, and then deer, just about all the major states. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, you know, Texas, Mexico, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Kentucky, uh, Montana, South Dakota, Kansas, Mississippi, Alabama, South Carolina, Georgia. I don't think I've ever hunted North Carolina, which is weird. That's right on the border. Um, Ohio, Michigan, 
a, a, a lot of, you know, yeah. Illinois. Yep. I've never hunted Iowa. Um, and then internationally, a lot in South America, Argentina, Bolivia, um, Africa, five or six countries in Africa, uh, South Africa, Mozambique, Tanzania, Zambia, Zimbabwe, um, Europe, I've hunted in Spain, um, Kyrgyzstan, Mongolia. It's 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 a bunch, man. Yeah. And 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 I love it. I absolutely I love the adventure. I love. I, oh, even when I was little, man, mm-hmm. I just I would if I found an ant pile to to kill ants in, I would kill ants and then I'd try and go, you know, find another one somewhere else. So I don't know where that came from, but, um, it just, just always, I mean, I can remember going up to my grandmother's when I was little and, you know, she had an old double barrel shotgun that was my granddad's and, and I would take that old, old shotgun and, and just go out and I'd, I'd walk for hours and hours and pop out and not have a clue where I was. Yep. And I loved it. Yep. I loved the adventure of it. Uh, you, you know, Flying into the Genghis Khan Airport in in Mongolia, and and getting off the plane and you know clearing customs and and uh, you know getting all your stuff and then driving into the Gobi Desert in Mongolia and the history of that country and the Mongols and and hunting you know where they hunted and, and hunting the ibex over there or the sheep it just the adventure has has always been something that I have have cherished and and sought after yep. i've always wanted to to explore and it, it it seems like you know we talk about patience uh you know when you get older i always want to see what's over that next next ridge yep. or that that next piece of whitetail property you know what, what what might be in there and hey who who owns that and how do we get in there and man i wonder if that's holding a big one you know yep. just i don't know it, it's a hunger that i've i've had forever and, and enjoy it and want to continue doing it yeah um, what is the most difficult part about hunting for you? The most difficult part, yeah, is with having Osseo now and the peak season of Osseo being during hunting season. Yep. It, 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 I don't care what it is. If you want to be really, really, really good at it, wh- whether that's filming reels or whether that's running an ice cream shop. There, there is no balance. There's yep. no life balance. You have to be all in on that thing. Mm-hmm. And with Osseo, I, I almost, I don't know that guilty is the right word. I feel like I'm neglecting it, you know, because what it takes to, to hunt these, to bow hunt these deer is, is an all-consuming, all-in approach. Yep. And you, you have to, you have to put something on the side. Mm-hmm. And and I don't want to neglect my family. I don't want to neglect my business. And I don't want to neglect um, hunting. Yeah. You know, so if people talk about balance, where if you want to be really good at something, you, you can't have balance. Yeah. Um, you, you know, our Natalie and I's son is is in college now. Jack, he started bow hunting. Uh, so, so there's not a – there's not a – He's, he's, he's 20, so there's not a big raising a family pool right now. Natalie's the coolest wife on the planet, and she, you know, she's cool with me doing whatever. Yep. Um, but, but I still, you know, I need to spend time with her, and I need to go on date night and, and do all that stuff. And, and um, we're going out of town this weekend, you know, to do something, you know, w- with her and some of our friends. So it's, that, that's the most difficult thing for me with hunting right now is giving it the full attention that it needs. Okay. Um, so that that would be yeah the answer to that. All right. Do you have any hunts that haunt you? Yes. What are they? A giant nine point in Illinois that came into twenty yards. I mean, chip shot dead, following a yearling doe. Not a clue that I was in the world. And of course, he came in behind us had a camera guy in the tree with me, and the camera base, which I had mounted so it would be over my shoulder, when yeah. I turned around to shoot behind me, you know, I'm, I'm watching him come, and I don't think anything of this, and I'm watching him come, watching him come, the little doe walks right through the 20-yard, through the shooting lane. It's a small shooting lane, but yep. it's plenty big enough. 
And he walks into that shooting lane and stops. And I draw my bow, and I can't draw it because that camera base is oh in the way. Oh, my goodness. And we got the whole thing on, on video. And he is – I won't say he's 180 as a nine-point, but he is close. He is well over 170. And so that that haunts me to this day. Man. Yeah, it was it was it was awful. It was absolutely awful. Um that that I'm 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 now I'm really derailed because I'm thinking about that deer. <laughs> I'm trying to think of a another one that really haunts me. Um I can't think of I can't think of one. Oh, I tell you one that haunts me a little bit is happened this year. I, I went axis. You were with me. Yeah. Went axis deer hunting, and we shot the the first buck we saw, which was a really nice one. Yeah. And then the next day we we went out in the morning and had another hammer come in, <laughs> and I didn't shoot him. Yeah. And if I could go back right now, I'd have let the air out of him too. You so, were you were ready to. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I should have shot him. So Martin, if you're listening to this, I apologize, man. I should have shot that buck too, but I didn't. Um, and I, I should have done that. So, uh, yeah, it seems like regrets are the ones or, or, uh, ones that haunt you are the ones when you don't let the arrow fly. Yep. You know, you, you, Jack, our, my son always, he always says you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. Yep. And I, I agree. I'm not afraid to send one <laughs> downrange, buddy. So, so yeah, those are, those are two that, um, that haunt me a little bit. Um, how did you get into hunting? So, my dad was a savage, yeah, a hunting savage. I mean, he grew up hunting, and they hunted for food. He he grew up in a very humble um, household, and they hunted a lot for food. And he had a gift. He's st- still alive. Uh, doesn't hunt as much as he as he does. He's closing in on eighty, um, but but he was an absolute animal super fit really a, a super strong guy um hard working ran a landscape business for like 40 years and just a heck of an alpha male guy yep. and from the time I was hatched literally <laughs> he was taking me with him huh. um you know I, I've told this story a bunch of times but I can remember we we he had a place where he had a lease or permission called Groton Plantation. It's a huge quail plantation uh, down on the Savannah River. It's legendary. And he hunted deer in there. I think they got like 200 doe tags. It's like a 20,000-acre plantation that the Winthrop family owned. And um, I can remember waking up and being in a sleeping bag and not knowing where I was and coming out of that sleeping bag, and I was – outside in the woods <laughs> and it's daylight and I poke my head up out of the sleeping bag and I'm looking around like where am I <laughs> so he had gotten me up out of my bed put me in a sleeping bag taking me to the woods with him like on his shoulder with all of his hunting stuff <laughs> made me a little nest at the bottom of the tree and then climbed up in the tree and hunted and and I'd be sitting there looking around like you know about to cry because I was, you know, three yeah. or four years old, and <laughs> something would hit me in the top of the head, and it'd be like a butterscotch candy. <laughs> and I'd look, and I'd look up, and my dad was right above me. And he'd have this huge grin on his face, and he, he'd, he'd just say, 30 minutes, you know, he'd whisper, 30 minutes, I'll keep dropping you candy. And I'd sit there and eat the candy <laughs> as he dropped them down to me. And then when I got a little older, and, and you know, probably five Six years old. I shot my first deer with him when I was five. Huh. But we the, the stands that were hunt, hunt that were set up on this place, they were all permanent stands. They had railroad ties, like, like big nails, yep. nailed into the sides of the trees, and then you would climb up to the fork of the tree, and there would be like two-by-fours nailed in the tree, and that was your platform. You'd sit on that. And so me being, you know, and these things were made for men, so there yeah. was no way I, my legs wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't move where I could climb. Yeah. So how we got up in the stand, he would take his rifle and his pack and go up there and hang them and then come back down. I would get on his back like a monkey, <laughs> wrap my arms around his throat 
and his back, and he would climb. No safety harnesses, no nothing of that. If I fell, I was done. I don't think that's OSHA approved. No, no, it's not OSHA approved. <laughs> but that, that crazy man would climb up with a 50, 60-pound kid hanging on his back up into this tree like it wasn't anything in the world to it. Huh. And so that that's how I got my start. And then when I got to be 12 or 13 years old, he, he bought me – he went to a, a gunsmith and got me a 243 that was cut down where I could handle it. The barrel and stock were cut off. Yep. Put a little Nikon scope on it. And um, I shot a bunch of deer with that. My son, Jack, shot a bunch of deer with it. My brother's kids <laughs> have shot deer with it. So it's kind of a, a heirloom, if yeah. you will. But, um, you know, he, he, he cut me loose. Huh. 12, 13 years old. You know, he, he gave me the, all the basics. Yep. And he's like, figure it out, brother. He said, you know what a scrape is, you know what a trail is, you know what a thicket is, you know what an oak tree is, you know what a corn pile is, yep. you know what you know what uh, beans are early season. You know, he gave me the, the basics. Yeah. We didn't have trail cameras or anything back then. And, and man, I just went. And, and we would hunt in the mornings and, you know, in, in our permanent stands that we had set up. And then during the middle of the day, I would walk. Yeah. I would take my – take my rifle and just go out and walk for hours and hours through the woods <laughs> looking at things. And then I'd come back and we'd hunt in the afternoon. And so I just did that for years and years and years and screwed up as much as much <laughs> stuff, as much bedding, as much everything as I could. Like I would go in and find the spot and I'd be like, Oh yeah, there's 10 rubs here. Look at these fresh scrapes. And I'd, I'd walk out of there, and I'd go get – they had these Apache lock-on stands. I don't know if they still make them or not, but they were – for then, they were made out of tube, and they were pretty lightweight. And then I'd go tromping back through the woods with this thing on my back, dragging it, and I'd get it set up, and I'd hunt there like seven, eight times in a row, <laughs> not not even thinking of wind, you know, anything yeah. like that. And why am I not seeing anything? Why am I not – this doesn't make any sense. And, you know, he would, he would give me little nuggets, yeah. but he'd make me – figure it out, you know, kind of on my own. So, yeah, great old man that, that really took me under his wing and, and taught me a lot early. So I'm, I'm definitely indebted to him for that. So, yeah, that's how I got started hunting. That's awesome. Um, do you have a bucket list hunt? And if so, what is it? Yes. And this actually came about about two days ago. Yeah. I mean, I've got other animals that I want to shoot, but just because this is fresh in my mind, I want to get really good with the recurve. Okay. And this is going to sound crazy to people, but it's okay. There is an African antelope called a bongo huh. in Cameroon and Central African Republic. And they look them up, Google it, whatever. Look on your computer. It's called a bongo. And they're orange with white stripes and they're spiral horns. Kind of like a nyala. They're, they're not as big as a kudu, but they, they have spiral horns, and they live in the rainforest. And you hunt them with the with the pygmies. Hmm. So you know the African tribe that's just as primitive as as ever. Yep. And that's how you hunt them. And what you do is you go in and you find you know a big bongo track, and they've got a couple of little like yap yap dogs <laughs> that they they turn out on these tracks. And they, they end up baying up the bongo, and you go in, and, and you know, that's, that's how you hunt them. Huh. And I just think it would be world-class to go in on a bongo. And, and the bongo fights these dogs. You know, he's, like, hooking at them. Oh my goodness. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's pretty intense. To go in with a recurve bow and shoot a bongo with the pygmies in Cameroon or the Central African Republic, I, I just think that would be – that is a bucket list that will happen one of these days – I got to cut your salary rate way back and start saving money. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> because it's not cheap. It's a, it's an expensive hunt. So one of these days I'm going to be saving up on that, and I've got a long way to go with the with the recurve um, to, to get proficient enough to do that. But that's definitely a bucket list hunt. Yeah, so that, gonna, that would be awesome. Yeah. You'll have to film that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that'll definitely. be cool. Yeah, we're going to do it. Next five <laughs> years. Next five years we'll get that one done. Since you shoot a bunch of deer, what is your – Favorite meal to make with venison? Favorite meal? Yeah. Yep. So I've, I've put this recipe a few times online, yep. and it is by far my favorite way. I take the back strap, or I, Natalie, takes the back <laughs> strap. No, we, we do it together. Take the back strap, 
and spiral cut it. There, there's a difference in butterflying and spiral cutting. When okay. you spiral cut it, and you, again, Google it, how to spiral cut it, but you, you cut it in like a spiral, and then the whole thing lays out flat like a sheet of paper. <laughs> and then I take caramelize, I caramelize some onions and mushrooms. You don't like mushrooms, do you? No, I do not. So you not. Leave, leave those out. Okay. So, but caramelized onions, mushrooms, jalapenos, um, and what you, you caramelize the mushrooms and the onions. Set those to the side. Okay. Then you take like if you've got spicy venison sausage, even better. Or you can take Jimmy Dean spicy sausage, any kind of sausage. Brown it. You know, get it cooked. Put it to the side, and then you take all of that mixture. Put it on top of this spiral cut loin, and then you put cream cheese in there. You got to have cream cheese. Yep. And then you put tame jalapenos, or if you're a big heat dude, you can put regular jalapenos <laughs> in there. And then you wrap that bad boy up. And my mouth's watering. And then <laughs> and then I take chubacabra, which is a seasoning out of Texas. It's okay. called chubacabra seasoning, and I season the loin with that. And then I wrap the whole thing in bacon. Or you take butcher twine and tie it closed. Okay. Then wrap the whole thing in bacon. Use uh, toothpicks to put your bacon in. And then I've, I've got a grill, a green, one of those green egg grills, but you any kind of grill. Yep. Um, my dad used to cook the best steaks on earth on a $20 Weber. So <laughs> any kind of grill. And then grill that thing medium rare. My goodness. Yeah. Yeah, next time we cook that, I'll have to bring you. A yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna say. I think I have to taste test that. Yeah, yeah. I think. I think you should. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. That that's my absolute favorite venison recipe. And while we're talking about recipes, and with it being kind of early fall, people are still getting okra out of their gardens. Yep. When I was down at the hunt club um, the other day, a guy was frying up some okra, mm-hmm. and it was simple. But he had picked this okra out of his garden. And he had soaked it overnight in uh, Texas peat. Mm-hmm. And then he had put, uh, j- this is simple, a whole piece of okra marinated in Texas peat. Then he breaded it in cornmeal and fried it in peanut oil. I mean, it's simple <laughs> and sounds like yeah. not much to it. Yeah. But if you're an okra guy, do you eat okra? Oh, yeah. I had some I had some today at Doc's. Oh, yeah, yep. right, right by the office. Well, if I can get my hands on some fresh picked okra, we are going to do that because it is next level good. Oh, I mean, incredible good. So that sounds good. I know that's off topic, and I don't know <laughs> where that came from. Other than that's a, another recipe that was incredible. Now, what is your most memorable hunt? Mm. I mean, all the whitetail hunts are memorable. But if you, ha- I mean, the, the first thing that came to my mind was a mountain goat hunt in Alaska. And, and it's because it was the hardest hunt that I did not think I was going to make it. Yep. Like, like I thought, like literally, I, I'm not going to make it. Huh. Like th- this, is, this is out of control. Uh, and it didn't start like that. I, I killed, it was a combo. It was a doll sheep mountain goat hunt. And we went in and killed the the doll sheep, and it, it's a giant. He scored like 176. It won an award that year. It was the biggest doll sheep killed that huh. year, way into Boone and Crockett. And so I was over the moon, right? And it was tough. We hunted on a glacier and had to hike the thing back across a glacier, and I was pretty spent. We, we They fly you in these little uh, Super Cub bush airplanes. And so we, we flew out, and we had to wait a couple of days because the mountain goat season wasn't in. So we came out, got to completely recover, good food, you know, back to fighting weight, ready to go. And we, we flew in, and as we were flying in, we saw some mountain goats. So I knew we were going to be in the goats, but in Alaska you can't fly and hunt the same day. So we, yeah. we landed – Spent the night, you know, let the 24 hours go by, got snowed on that night, and um, got up the next morning and hiked down, I don't know, man, half a mile down, <laughs> and there they were. And and the big one was laying right in the middle of this flat piece of earth. <laughs> like, God, this is too easy. <laughs> and and so we're, we're 150 yards away. Like, okay. I got this, no problem. So I'm, you know, 
rest, got a perfect rest, got my pack under me. We're just waiting for him to stand up. He stands up, and I dump him. I think I shot him twice. I shot him a little high the first time, and he kind of wiggled around for a minute. I shot him again, dumped him. Like, I thought mountain goat hunting was hard. <laughs> and um, I never will forget this. When Paul dropped us off, he said, he told Jay, the guy I was hunting with, he said, you do know the bottom is choked off. And Jay was like, no, I'm, I don't know what that, I don't, I don't know. He goes, well, y'all will figure it out. And he flew off. And, and I didn't think anything of it. Yeah. Um, and he's a guy that, that, that likes for you to get all you can get out of a hunt, <laughs> to say the least. So anyway, we go down and it's 10 o'clock in the morning and it's sunny and beautiful. I mean, I take my boots off. Jay and I take our boots off. We put our Crocs on. We, we <laughs> cape this thing out. It's a big billy. I mean, he ended up being a Boone and Crockett billy. It's, it's that one right there on the right. And um, we get everything packed up. And I can, you know, I can see the glacier at the bottom. You know, I know it's a long way off. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, this, we're, this is going to be in the, in the little grass runways not too far away. I'm like, yeah, man, we'll, we'll get down to the bottom, get back to the runway, pitch our tents. They'll pick us up in the morning. We got everything loaded, and I had all my camp, all my food, and the entire goat skin, the full cape yeah. in my pack. So my pack probably weighed 100 pounds. I, I don't know. I mean, it was a lot. Yeah. Maybe 80, maybe 120, but it was heavy. And I did not have the best pack at the time, so it rolled. And what I mean by that is when you would shift, all the weight would move to one side or the other. And I had it as tight as I could, as I could get it. And we started down that mountain. And I, after about, we had a real ske sketchy spot to go. And I tripped, and that pack rolled on me, and it caused me to fall. And I started slipping off the mountain. And I grabbed a boulder to keep from going off a cliff. And that was just the start. From that point, for the next eight hours, it was the most treacherous, hardest thing I've ever done in my life. It was just uh, peaks and cliffs and trying to navigate that. And we get down to the bottom, and it's choked off. And what I mean by that is there's a probably a 15-foot deep river that all pinches down to one spot, and it's like rapids. Ooh. And you can't go through the point that we need to go through to, to get to the glacier to hike up to the runway. Yeah. <laughs> so we have to hike back up to go over, and it's dark, and fog comes in. And we get up to the back up, not all the way back up we were, but back up to the side where we could come down another way and we get into willows that are taller than our heads and as thick as any thicket you've ever been in and trying to walk with a rifle and that pack on through these willows and we can't see yeah and finally you know i was in my 40s and jay was young um you know he, he was in his 20s and he he's hardcore big big strong guy and i said jay you know this better than me, but I said, one of us is going to get hurt. I said, we, we can't see where we're going. He's like, yeah, man, but I, I need somewhere good to camp. Um, you know, th th this th th we, we need somewhere flat and good to camp. I was like, dude, one of us is going to get hurt. We can't see. Let's just pull our sleeping bags out of our bag and just sleep right here. Yeah. And he's like, you okay with that? I'm like, dude, I am exhausted. Yep. And yes. He's like, okay. So we took our boots off, pulled our sleeping bags out, slept on the willows that night, broke day. And, and I'm talking about slept, brother. I yeah. mean, we got in that <laughs> sleeping bag. It wouldn't have mattered what I was laying on. I went to sleep. Woke up the next morning, frosty. I'm not kidding you. 20 yards in front of us was a cliff. If we had gone 20 more yards, Jay or I would have gone off that cliff because we couldn't see it. Yeah. And he looked back at me when we got there, and his eyes were as big as saucers. and said, dude, that was the right call. <laughs> One of us would have gotten really hurt. Man. 
So anyway, we, we get down to the glacier, and then we have to hike about a mile. And it's pretty flat, but it's through kind of the willows, and it's tough. And the packs were so heavy, and we were so tired that we would go about 50 yards and stop. 50 yards. And every time we saw, like, a big boulder, we'd sit down on it. Yeah. And I just thought, man, I'm not going to make it. I am not going to make it back to the runway. I don't, I don't know how we're going to do this, but just 50 yards and stop. 50 yards and stop. Yeah. And by about 2 o'clock that day, we got back to the landing strip, and I've got a picture of me sitting down holding that mountain goat skull on that runway, <laughs> and that's the most tired I've ever been in my life. And yeah. when that bush plane <laughs> showed up, Oh, I was happy to get back and get some food and get that stuff unpacked. So, yeah, that that was one of the most memorable hunts that I've ever had. That's awesome. So, this is my last this is my last question. So, if you were to start hunting over again, what would you do differently? If I was to start hunting again, what would I do differently? Man, I wouldn't do much of anything differently. The, yeah. All the mistakes that I've made, uh, you know, they, they, they served a purpose. Um, I, I think now, I think I would have played with the traditional stuff, and maybe that's just because I've just now started shooting that, that traditional bow. Yep. Maybe I would have played with that a little more. Um, early on, maybe I wouldn't have run the rabbit of all the technology, um, but but that that's hindsight, right? Technology meaning you know cell cameras and and you know going down that. There's a lot to say for walking in the woods with a stand on your back with a traditional bow and natural food sources or or natural travel routes. Mm-hmm. And hunting like that, so I, I mean, there's there's not regrets. I mean, I, I'm sure if I thought of it long enough, there, there would be some regrets. Um, but but I think I think I would have done that, and I I would I would advise everybody that's coming up now in, in the world that we're in now, where there are drones and these cell cameras that do artificial intelligence and map the deer's patterns and these thermal cameras where you can go out and see the deer's rack and see them at night. And, yeah. you know, I, I don't know where, where, the, where our love sport is headed, but I would encourage guys that are getting into it to start developing some woodsmanship. Uh, and, and that's by trial and error, but you've got so much, re, so many resources now and so many good guys that are willing to share their experiences that, that you can, you can get way ahead of the curve, but man, I would, I would, I would encourage guys, including myself, to get back to some of the roots and some of the old ways of doing things. Yep. Uh, that that would be my my advice and and something maybe I wish I had had done more of younger. But you know, I'm 48 and and you know I, I got plenty of time to run the, the traditional game and. Um, you know, may, maybe there's a time where, you know, you, you get away from it all, right? Yeah. You, you, you have a stand on your back. There's no bait. There's no food plot. You know, there's, there's no camera. And you just go back to hunting. And, and you know, your stand's on your back, and you're, you're with your traditional equipment, and you're walking through the woods, and you find a place to hang your stand, or you don't. You find a log to sit on or a brush pile to get in. You know, kind of Indianish, if you yep. will. Uh, I think that'd be really cool to yeah. do some of that. And, you know, our swamp sets up for that so good because we've got hogs everywhere. Um, we've got lots of deer. We've got liberal limits. And I think it would be neat, you know, some mornings just to go down there and listen for the hogs and, and try and put a sneak on them with a traditional bow. Yeah. Um, you know, go into the woods and and or, or dive into the swamp and, and go to where I know they like to like to travel and just throw a stand up see what happens uh i think that'd be that'd be pretty neat yep yeah so that was the that was the last question that i had 
All right, man. Well, Lucas, we appreciate it. And lo and behold, we're right on an hour. So the timing there is impeccable. Yep. And and this has been a lot of fun, man. I appreciate you doing this and uh, ho- hope those answers to the questions helped a little bit. And yep. Thank good. you. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, man. We'll, we'll do it again. And guys, we appreciate it. Hunting season is here or about to be here. So Mission Whitetail out. Y'all have a good week and we'll be back with you next time. Thanks a lot, guys.